All right, guys, welcome to episode 244 of the podcast. Today we have Jesse Anglin uh, with Rapid Innovation here to talk about DAP developments. Jesse, how you doing? Dude, I am fantastic. It's good to have you on, man. Absolute pleasure. Um, where are you based? Where are you from? Uh, so home base is northern Idaho. Um, I live like an hour away from Canada, up in the mountains. Uh, I kind of live a weird incognito life because uh-huh. unlike my, my public work life, I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've got all the blockchain and tech stuff that I'm doing. But in my personal life, I've got a five acre farm. I've got animals like everyone kind of just thinks that I'm this, you know, rural guy who, I don't know, who likes to grow gardens and do other stuff like that. And I try to keep it that way around here. So no one really knows what I do. And then everywhere else, people get to know that I'm in the blockchain space. That's a cool combination, you know, to work in the blockchain space and, and do all these things, but also have a farm and have animals and live in northern Idaho. Um, yeah. What's what's that life kind of like? Dude, I, I love it. I mean, one of the things that's really nice about the fully remote thing, like I for a lot of the world, it's kind of new, right? Because COVID mm-hmm. forced everyone into this fully remote thing. Um, but when I first envisioned Rapid Innovation, I wanted it to be fully remote and I wanted to cater specifically to people who wanted to be digital nomads or, or live a life that, you know, where they could kind of do whatever they wanted to do, be wherever they wanted to be as long as they had a good internet connection. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I, you know, the, I'm really passionate about one thing. I love watching things grow. Right. And so in my work life, I like growing businesses, helping other people grow businesses like you know, taking something from nothing and then turning it into something. But in my personal life, the the best, I don't know, I guess, analog to what I do in my work life is like watching a garden grow, watching animals grow. Like I love the whole farm thing because you just kind of watch it come alive every year and you go out and do stuff. And it, you know, it just, it's a system that works by itself to like make things for you which is very, very much like business. I think that's why I like it so much. So I love it. Nice. It's got to be a fun lifestyle. Um, I, I grew up in Oregon, so I'm familiar with what it's like up there in the, the Pacific Northwest and the territory and um, grew up with animals too and really big property and had a, a lot of friends live that lifestyle as well. And then we're all going these different directions into tech as well. So it's it's kind of funny how you can branch out from – uh, humble beginnings like that. Um, yeah. Anyways, Jesse, tell me a bit more other than, you know, where you live uh, about your, your background, your story. Like how did you, you know, make that transition where you've gone from that lifestyle to um, being in this space and doing what you do? Yeah. So, I mean, the story is pretty simple. Um, I've always loved technology um, and uh, I've always loved starting businesses. Like those two things have really just, uh, gone. I don't know. I've, I just pursued them my whole life. And so I, in 2009, I got my real estate license and decided I was going to grow this big real estate company. I had some ideas for how I could do it differently than everyone else um, and be super successful. And so, you know, got into that space and 2011, probably one of my clients uh, who was a, an investor sat me down and said, Hey, I want to sell every property I've ever bought because I'm going to go buy this thing called Bitcoin. And I spent the next two hours trying to convince him that he was a complete idiot. Like no one goes and sells the best investment on planet earth, real estate, and then buy some scam thing. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, and so he didn't listen to me. Ended up selling a bunch of a bunch of real estate, buying a, a ton of Bitcoin in between 2011 and 2012. Uh, did very well for himself because if you buy a quarter million dollars of Bitcoin in 2011, you actually do pretty well for yourself. And so uh, he tried to convince me to get into the space with him for years. And I had, a, I had an issue with Basically, I understood the the idea behind a decentralized payment rails system and decentralizing money and giving people ownership of money, and that was awesome. But the application layer that you use all of that on was what the the internet, right? Web 2.0. And the problem with Web 2.0 is that it's not decentralized. And so if you had a if you had a decentralized component to this you know, to this centralized ecosystem, it just didn't make any sense to me. And so I basically told him, no, like, I'm not going to get in the space. It doesn't make sense. I want to, I want to continue to do what I'm doing. And, uh, probably 2014, um, he had run across Ethereum and was, and was basically thinking about investing in it. And so invited me to a Google Hangouts where Vitalik was talking about what they were doing and, um, their, their initial uh, private round type thing that they were doing. Um, and I fell in love with Ethereum. I fell in love with Web 3.0. I didn't know really that that's what it was at the time. Um, and that's when I decided, like, I need to get rid of my business and I need to jump into this crypto space full time because I think that this is going to be amazing. Uh, so I did. I got, you know, got all the real estate side of things, uh, joined him. We did a lot of like super fun things together, you know, kind of worked in what what I consider the real wild west of the crypto space, you know, the whole ICO run up and everyone building all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, you know, people wanted to tokenize everything, like ridiculous things, things that made sense. Uh, it was just a crazy, crazy fun time. And uh, eventually about three years ago, he decided that he wanted to focus more on AI and, and machine learning. And I wanted to stay focused on the blockchain space. And so, is that super noisy? A little bit, but it's okay. We're promoting oh. the digital nomad lifestyle. Yeah, that's good. Um, it is one of the things that kind of sucks about being a digital nomad, but that's right. Oh, wow. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so so basically he's he uh, he went one direction, I went another direction. I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, right? Like I had done a bunch of different stuff in the blockchain space. And the thing that I love doing the most was helping people build stuff. Like someone comes to me with an amazing idea. I sit down and assemble a team, um, really get the roadmap figured out, figure out how they're going to launch this product and market it and like I love the creation of things and so um, especially anything innovative and so that's where rapid innovation came from and where the idea of building a company that anyone can plug an idea into and a working application comes out the other side you know 90 120 days later that they can then hit the market with and uh, and so, yeah, that's, I think that's the, that's the simple version of my story. There's all the other fun stuff that's happened in between, you know, like the wallets that I don't have private keys for and all the other fun things. That what? You have wallets? You, don't, you lost your private keys? 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe a few. Oh, I don't want to oh, talk geez. about that here. People might think I'm stupid. Well, every, I think a lot of people have that story, unfortunately. Um, a lot of us, you know, bought this stuff for fun a long time ago and, and misplaced it because we didn't take it seriously. And then we're like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. It's, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm guilty of it, too, unfortunately. But um, it, it's, it happens. Um, have you mostly been focused on the Ethereum ecosystem? Is that where you spent most of your time um, learning and being involved in the space? Or have you been involved with some sure. other blockchains? So oddly, it started there, um, and it was all Ethereum for a while. And then EOS came out, and actually Rapid Innovation was founded. Like my first team, they were all EOS developers, and so C++. Uh, EOS flopped. Um, if there's any fanboys out there, I, I guess I apologize for being blunt about it, but it just didn't ever go anywhere from a development standpoint and people building stuff on it. And so uh, we shifted from that oh, back to Ethereum. And then as of today's date, so let's see, three years ago we started, there were five of us on the team, uh, six of us on the team. And we now have uh, 300, right around 300 people. And so we focus everywhere. I mean, we do the EVM space. Um, so kind of run the whole thing there, Avalanche, etc. And then we've got the Rust ecosystem, which we've recently added in the last, say, three months. And so Solana and Terra and things of that nature. And then we've got the uh, the C++ stuff. So and we still do a little bit of it, um, you know, Wax and EOS and, and C++ chains. So I would say those are the three languages we focus on that would be Solidity, Rust, and C++. Nice. Which gives us um, some 30 chains maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's so many chains out there, so many different things you can build on. It's um, it's kind of crazy. You can kind of lose yourself in the in the mix of things. Um, it, do you think Ethereum is still the best place to build something, given its popularity, or do you think um, you know Solana is also good, or Cardano, or any of these other chains? That's a hard. Like people ask me all the time what my favorite piece of technology is, and the truth is, every three months it probably changes a little bit because someone else comes out with something that I think is cool. Um, but I think that each chain really right now has its use case, right? Uh, like Ethereum is really good for some stuff, but if you want to get like a high volume of transactions, like low cost transactions, like you can't use Ethereum. You're going to have to go somewhere else. Um, you know, whether you're on Polygon or Finance Smart Chain or Solana or, or something else. Um, and so I'm, I'm not really a maximalist anywhere anymore. Um, I used to be. You know, I would say I was a hardcore Ethereum maximalist when I first got into the space. Like everything Ethereum or nothing else. I, w I didn't even like Bitcoin. Like it was just Ethereum for me. And uh, that died when I realized that it just, it doesn't work. Like there are certain things that you can't do on certain chains and you have to, you have to spread out. And there's even applications we've built where certain, like there's, there's bridges built inside the application and certain functions uh, will happen on one chain where it makes sense and certain, and then uh, tokens can actually seamlessly bridge between um, chains and other functions will happen on other chains just because it makes sense. Um, where you want high frequency transactions in one place, but then you want long, long term storage of, say, NFTs or, or tokenized assets on another chain. So, things, I don't know, it, for me now, you know, today it's very dynamic, I guess. Gotcha. Um, 
So what, what's the step-by-step process look like if someone wants to build their own uh, DAP, they want to build their own blockchain-based application? Um, how, do you get, how does someone get started if they wanted to work with you guys? So for us, we've tried to make it easy. Um, but what I'll, I'll just go through the process mm-hmm. and I'll kind of tell you what we do and what we don't do because there's some stuff that we don't. But ultimately, you know, you've got, it starts with an idea, right? Some guy wakes up in the morning, takes a shower, comes up with his brilliant idea. Once you have that base idea, like here's a product I can build in the DeFi space or something I could do with an NFT or tokenizing an asset that's going to make me stand out from the crowd and I think people are going to be interested, um, then you, you have to take that and you have to actually build a business around it. Um, so you have to figure out how you're going to make money. You've got to figure out what your roadmap is. You need to figure out what the very first version of your product is that you're bringing to market. Um, and you also need to figure out how you're going to architect it and make it scalable, right? Is it decentralized only? Is it a, is it a hybrid product that's decentralized and, and but also has like traditional Web2 components like a backend and, you know, more of a traditional backend along with a, you know, a blockchain integration. And so you, you architect everything out um, and we call that art discovery and architecting process. And by the time when you're done with that, you know what you're what you need to build. And so from from there, uh, oh, and, and I would say the other thing would be the designs, like either low fidelity um, UX designs or user experience designs, or even take it all the way to where you have the high fidelity um, user interface um, that's based on the on the UX that you build. And uh, once you have that, it's just a matter of breaking it down into tasks, giving it to developers to build out and and stitch everything together. Because um, most most applications have a, have a, a blockchain component where you've got you know whatever chain you're on, so you have Polygon. So you've got all your your smart contracts, and then you've got your backend component where you're going to be doing some things to make the user experience a little bit better. Um, where you're, you're not waiting for on-chain data to load and, and things along those lines, and then you've got your front end. So you just build those three pieces out, you stitch them all together, and uh, and then you push it out. I mean, I make it sound more simple than it is because that process takes three months probably on average, maybe a little longer sometimes. Um, and then you launch it and then you market it. And marketing is something I don't do. Uh, you know, for us, like it's about the ideation and making sure that you have an idea that will actually work and then uh, building it. And then from there, you're on your own to go and attract people and actually, you know, make Gotcha. I, I imagine marketing is a huge part of it too, because you do have quite a saturated uh, marketplace of DApps out there. Everyone's trying to figure out what's the best one to use, and um, so I, I imagine that's a, a lofty uh, task to take on as well. Yeah, it's amazing how many people fail at at launching stuff, and a lot mm-hmm. of what's one of the things I've noticed is that. You get you know all kinds of different entrepreneurs with all kinds of ideas. And I used to think when someone came in and told me their idea, I'd be like, man, that's an awesome idea. You're gonna make a lot of money. Or that's a really crappy idea. You're, you're like, no one's ever gonna use it. You're never gonna make money. And what was interesting is that's not the, that's not the, there, there's almost nothing where the idea actually is a factor in whether or not someone's gonna make money or not. Like a crappy idea with really good execution will make money. A brilliant idea with really poor execution will not. And right. it's more about the execution. And a huge part of that is marketing. That's one of the big mistakes that I've seen entrepreneurs make is they come in, they build this amazing product. It's beautiful. 
it's got some, you know, some sort of UV, uh, like unique USP, some unique selling proposition or unique value proposition. Like it's an amazing product and they build it and it's beautiful and it works really well. And then they don't tell anyone about it and then they go under and they fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, marketing is everything. Do you guys have someone that you refer people to, like after you build out one of these applications um, and you say, hey, I, we don't do the marketing, but we know this person that does or we ha- know this company or this team. Um, do you have that set uh, aside for people as an option? I've got a few people that uh, that I'll like, you know, throw names in the bucket and let mm-hmm. people choose from. You know what? I, I'm, I'm really careful with referrals. Back in the day, I used to be like, hey, you should go talk to these guys. They're going to do an amazing job and really take care of you. And then they don't. And my reputation gets hurt. So I'm a little bit sure. more careful these days on that. But I do have some people that I trust. Uh, and I am in the process. I've got like a 20, maybe a 21, 22 person marketing team right now that's just working on marketing and innovation. But as we get systems in place that I'm really confident about, and I know they work well, um, it's a service that we're eventually going to offer as well so that when someone shows up, they don't have to think about anything. All they have to do is come up with an idea and bring it to us, and out comes a functioning product that people know about. Um, And if it's a good idea, then you'll run the company well, then you'll make money, and if it's not, then you won't. Because that's what I wish I had access to. I've built all, you know, I've built a bunch of different companies over the course of my lifetime. And it's always like, you know, piecemeal this and piecemeal that and kind of stitch everything together and hopefully you're successful. But it it's very system systematic. Like there is a formula for building a company that's successful. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not it's not magic and it's not luck. It's usually a lot of hard work and you know, doing that hard work in the right order and you know, in the right way, and then you'll experience some sort of success. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's having access to those resources, but also cost to entry. Um, and that's, that's a big part of it, because it can be a little daunting when you see something like even a normal application, like there's a couple of projects down in Columbia we're working on, where we're trying to build out an application. And depending on who you talk to, um, you know, you're looking at a $20,000 um, cost to produce an application with one group of people and with another it's $120,000. So it, it it's a very difficult thing that you know, matters tremendously in this space too. Well, and did all the stories that I've heard of people like getting all say screwed over basically mm-hmm. by by developers where they come in because there's this guy I have a ton of respect for him. Actually, I recently hired him, but he's always worked for other people. And about two months ago, I finally convinced him to come on the team. But he, he always, uh, he said one time that like development is a little bit like a magical black box, right? That no one really understands except for these magicians who go and write code. And I think that it feels like that for a lot of people. And so if you hire the wrong team of magicians who are going to make this black box do what you want it to, like you may not get the result that you want. Um, now there are some some things that you can do to make sure that, that doesn't happen, and that it's a little bit less of a black box. Um, but most people don't even know where to start with that. And there's a lot of really really rough stories where people have just lost a lot of money and gotten nothing for it. Yeah, unfortunately, I've seen that happen a lot too, and I've I think I've been victim to it a few times. But that's how you learn. It's just developers kind of get away with with murder with pricing things these days because you know they're so high in demand uh, what yep. are you what are you going to tell them um 
because I, I don't know how to code, so I can't do it myself. Most people don't, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, what are some examples of DApps that you guys have built uh, in the past previously? Um, let's see. What are some that I'm pretty that I'm that I'm proud of? Uh, so there's a DeFi application called Planet Finance. Um, what is the, it's like? The URL is like I think it's PlanetFinance.io. I could probably pull yeah. it up. Wait, I think it's yeah, I think it's planetfinance.io. Um, that one's just fun because it started with this idea of a yield aggregator, just like, I mean, like a bajillion of them, but they wanted to build an ecosystem. And it's a really good example of a team that is, it's, it was a fully anonymous team um, that engaged us that, you know, they had this, this idea that it was just executed very, very well. Like, let's start with a very, very simple yield aggregator, just like everyone else is doing. And then let's add, um, you know, let's add a lending token on it and then really kind of create the tokenomics over the course of three or four or five, six, seven months mm -hmm. that become sustainable and, and work really well. Um, plus, I just I like the UI and the UX and, and, uh, and I'm happy with it. And so that's an application. Um, uh, we're working with the uh, Vaynerchucks to build out another application called Art Official. Mm -hmm. It's just artofficial.com. Um, and that's that's kind of a fun one because they're trying to take real-world artists that are already pretty popular mm -hmm. and move their art on-chain. On um, and plus, it's, it's the Vaynerchucks, which I think, like, working sure. with them is just kind of fun. Um, that's another one. Oh, we got to work with Wall Street bets. I wouldn't say that, uh, like that was just fun. Like Wall, the the Wall Street bets guys are crazy, right? You know, their whole community is is insane. And so built out several things uh, for them, and, and that kind of turned into some other stuff. So that was kind of fun. Uh, I guess I could give out give a shout out to the Hexagons, um, and this is controversial, right? Like, people hate Richard Hart or they love Richard Hart. I would say most people are that way. I'm pretty neutral. I, um, I think the guy is, he's freaking brilliant. I mean, at the end of the day, you go from a guy who repairs air conditionings for a living to someone who's got a couple billion dollars in a bank account. Like, you don't do that without being brilliant and an incredibly hard worker. And so um, we got to work with, with him and work with the Hexkins on a couple of projects and doing some of the stuff that they're doing, and that's been fun. Uh, but a lot of it's the people, man. Like, uh, you meet some of the most talented and most amazing people. Uh, I should probably do like a shout out to all of my clients and someone doesn't listen to this and get pissed off. Um, but I'm just, I'm, we're doing some really, really amazing stuff for some really, really amazing people in the space. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing you don't think about, right? Is, you know, so I have the same experience when I started doing the podcast because I, I, I didn't know these people really existed or that they were so intelligent or so smart or that they knew all these things that they they eventually talked about. Um, and it's it's shocking. It's it's fun not just doing the podcast for me, but the people I meet on the show. I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you. You know, you're taking on projects, but then you meet these people and you're like, wow, these are some really interesting uh, guys and gals and <laughs> doing some cool stuff. Um, it's that interaction that I love so much. Yeah, dude, and there's so many smart people in this space doing so many amazing things. I mean, that's what that's what I would say I love about it more than anything else.
else is that there's like you meet some people that are like they're just out to make money right they're like hey mm-hmm. can you clone this change the branding i'm gonna go ahead and push really hard to try to take a bunch of people's money and that's my whole goal in life um i, I try to stay away from from those people as, as much as i can i mean i get to work with them but there's a whole group of people that really are passionate about this space and want to make a like a world impact in some way. Um, now they want to make money, and that's fine. Like everyone should want to make money. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but they also want to make a difference. Like they want to impact the world in some way. They want to change finance. They want to change art. They want to change real estate. They want to change you know voting and politics. Like they want to make a, a lasting impact on how the world functions. And I love those people. Like I I love them because. Because I think that this technology has the has the ability to make the world a better place, and I believe involved with that. Um, and so when people, way smarter people than me, come up with these amazing ideas to do it, like I'm on board with helping. Yeah, I, I think that blockchain is the most innovative space in the world right now. Um, you you can't say that there are a bunch of exciting, innovative things happening in the auto industry right now, or in AI or in IOT, um, or, you know, just go down the list. There's not a whole lot of industries that are exciting to be in. And this one's not just exciting and attracting so much development, money, innovation, investment, but also it does change the world in fundamental ways that are really important in just about every industry. Um, so when people say that, you know, blockchain is one of the most important technologies we've ever had, or that Web 3.0 will be one of the biggest changes we've ever had in human history. I don't think that's a small thing. I, I think that's true. Um, yeah, I think so. Curious about what your opinion might be on that as well. Dude, I absolutely think it's true. I mean, I was when I first, when I finally got it, like I had that when the light turned on and I realized what I was looking at in late 2014, um, I realized that that I had the, I was kind of staring at, uh, at the internet in, you know, 1989, like 1985, like, wow, there's this thing that's going to bring information to the entire world. Um, and you know, and I missed out on that cause I was a little kid and I couldn't, you know, couldn't take advantage of it. But I realized I was looking at the same opportunity. Like I think blockchain will do for the planet, what the internet did for the planet in a very, very different way. Um, but I think it will have the same impact. You know, 20 years from now, there I don't think anyone will have, anyone on planet Earth will have an interaction uh, with other people or, you know, buying stuff or, you know, like our interactions will be really connected to a blockchain in some way, shape or form, whether it's the money that we use or how we pay, you know, our rent or buy a house or a car or what we use to go show the cops, you know, our driver's license when we get pulled over or, you know, how we, how we go and shop on Amazon or whatever the, you know, the, uh, the big decentralized marketplace is going to be that takes that over, how we search the internet and find information. Like all of that's going to be touched somehow. I don't know how yet. Um, and I see really smart people working on stuff, but it's, it's all going to be affected in, in 20 years. And, and I think that, there's a time coming where people will not be able to imagine a world without some form of, you know, DLT, blockchain, you know, ledger technology. It, it just, it will be unimaginable that we ever lived, you know, that primitive web 2.0 lifestyle. I, I believe that. 
Yeah, it's it's accelerating the technology uh, year after year. If you think about it, the industry has only really truly existed for about five or six years, which is yep. insane to think about. Um, Bitcoin has been around since 2009, Ethereum since 2013, I think. Um, I think it, it launched, mainnet launch was like August 2015. 20, so yeah. So even later than that, and then, you know, not until, you know, 2017 was their traction, not until, you know, a couple of years ago, was there a really an industry? So it is moving fast, but it's so, such a baby still. People don't really think about it. We take that for granted and we're like, oh, it, it bubbles up, it bubbles down, bubbles up, bubbles down. And, um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people working in this space, but it's not a big deal. But that's just not the case. I mean, it's the industry is such a baby. I'm surprised people don't jump on it even more. Um, 20 years down the you, line, if you 20, break it into like a pie chart, like mm -hmm. where adoption is at, or you look at it, you know, I think people believe that it's our, that the market is saturated, but we haven't even, we haven't even touched, we haven't even touched the market yet. Like the, I think the sliver in the pie chart is, is so small at this point, you can't see it. Um, mm -hmm. because if there's just too much left to do. And when enterprise starts getting in, like that's where we're going to see stuff. I mean, one of the things that's changed in the last year for, for us is, you know, we've always dealt with just entrepreneurs, right? Small, small time people who have made some money in blockchain, who had a great idea for business and they want to build something. Um, but I've been getting phone calls from the, you know, from the fortune 200 list. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're, they don't want to get left behind. And so, you know, they want, they want help getting into the space, help figuring out what, what even, like, what is this? Like every, every major Fortune 500 company has someone who is looking into blockchain right now, mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to use it. And when that train leaves the station, like, I think it's over. Like, that's when adoption happens. It's exactly what happened when, with the internet. You know, when the Fortune 500 list, looked, you know, took, took a look at the internet and said, hey, let's start using this in the, you know, let's say the mid-90s. At that point, the train had left the station. It was over. Like, the internet was here to stay. Um, and the same thing's happening right now. We're going to see a massive uptick in adoption over the next two years. And it's going to keep going for the next 15 yeah, I completely agree. I, I think it's going to shock people how much this space levels up in the next couple of years, maybe even sooner than that, I think in the next year, because um, especially because of things like NFTs that have generated so much attention and pop culture excitement and uh, DeFi being such an important space. It's kind of come out of nowhere, um, you know, really putting banks through a loop and putting big tech in a... Um, uh, in, in a corner and, and, and governments scrambling to try and figure out what to do left and right. So I, I think much sooner than we expect, we'll, we'll see an industry grow tremendously. Um, yeah, definitely within the next couple of years. Um, one more question on rapid innovation, then we'll kind of start wrapping things up. What's um, your guys's timeline usually look like for developing out an application i'm sure it depends on like the complexity and also what it is but on average what do you guys usually see does it take like a year to build out does it take less longer so it depends on like there, there's this term in the in the industry an mvp which most mm -hmm. people say minimum viable product really another way to think of it is the minimum valuable product i like mm -hmm. that term better 
Um, so like if you're going to build something, what is the, what is the minimum, what is, what are the least amount of features you have to add in order to make it valuable to somebody? Um, and so if you think of that as a product, like it's, I would say on average, it probably takes somewhere between three and four months to, to get something like that built. If it's more complex, uh, then it can't take longer. And if it's not, you know, it can't take 45 days to build something out if you do it very, very quickly. But from there, it's iterative, right? Like you, you continue to build and, and hopefully you build for years. It never ends. Um, because that cycle needs needs to keep going. You know, you get user feedback. That user feedback gives you direction as to what, you should, what new features you should be adding, what stuff you should fix. You fix that stuff, and that cycle of uh, you know the, that kaizen cycle just keeps going. But to get a product launched, like I have an idea and I want to push something out on mainnet, start marketing it, get users. I would say on average, for us, on average three to four months. Sometimes less, sometimes more. Nice. Well, I have an idea. I, I want to see somebody uh, create a decentralized podcasting app, um, or maybe even more so just an app for audio, a decentralized one um, that rewards creators, but also rewards people for, for listening. Um, I think it'd be really cool, really cool ecosystem to put together. Does that, I know like for video that exists through mm -hmm. a couple of different platforms, does that not exist for audio? I've, I know a few people that are trying to get at it right now, but I've still seen nobody really do it. And I'm like, why? Like the future is audio. That's how people are going to consume information. Why hasn't anyone done it yet? So I don't know. It's surprising to me. Yeah. Dude, well, one of the guys that listens to this should call me up and let's build it. That sounds fun <laughs> Absolutely. To me. Um, where can people uh, check out and follow Rapid Innovation and you as well? Um, so uh, I should I, I was actually told by my PR guy about two weeks ago that if I don't start getting more active on Twitter, then he's going to fire me. Uh, so I, you can follow me on, on Twitter at LOTFB86 um, is my Twitter handle. Um, and then really every all of our socials are just on rapidinnovation.io. Um, we've got our Instagram and our YouTube. And we're trying to produce more more content. We've kind of been in, in, in incognito mode for the last two years, and even two and a half years. And we're just now deciding like, hey, let's market and tell people who we are. I believe I was talking to, uh, to the Get Back Consensus guys mm -hmm. a month ago. And I believe that in the space of Web3 development for non-enterprise people, we are now the largest blockchain development company in the world who does only Web3 or Web3 development company in the world because um, they, they can't find anyone else bigger. They no longer do do that with their developers. And so with our 300 people, we've crossed this threshold to being the largest in the world, which is silly. We should Congratulations. That's awesome, is, though. It's just new. Uh, too new for to have competition yet, which that'll change. Um, so yeah, if you go, if you do enough Googling, we're, we're kind of all of roads lead to rapid innovation right now. Uh, if you start looking for one, three developers or, uh, but yeah, rapidinnovation.io, easiest way to find us. Awesome. Well, guys, go check out, uh, Jesse, go check out Rapid Innovation. Be sure to like the video and subscribe um, and check out the new podcast collection, NFT collection for the podcast on OpenSea. Um, Jesse, you'll like this. I'll show you. I, I got it up here. Um, 
So we give away a free podcast every, or a free NFT every single month. Dude, we should do a collaboration. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Kids. So what we're doing is we're releasing NFTs for every episode that comes out. Um, and we will eventually start putting in small um, clippets or exclusive um, audio, maybe like off off the record stuff, maybe that we talk about or just, you know, some fun things. And then also um, people will be able to get a chance to purchase the NFT and get featured on the podcast, get a sponsorship placement, um, do a number of cool things. So Dude, we'll attach some... Awesome. Yeah, we're going to attach some value to the NFTs. Uh, the first one is out already. This one will go out probably later this week or next week. And then last week's episode will probably go out later today. So um, that I think we're one of the first podcasts to do like a legit NFT collection. Um, I've never I, heard of it before. So I, you've got to be. Yeah. So I, why not? Right. Someone's got to do it. So why not us? Yeah. Dude, that's actually, that's freaking awesome. I love the idea. One of the coolest NFT um, applications that I've seen is where people use it for membership of some sort, whether that's mm -hmm. access to like a website or access to a, you know, a conference and you yeah. know, with special perks or something like that. Like I love the art stuff. Well, I'm lying. I don't really love the art stuff. <laughs> I just can't wrap my mind around it completely. But there's so much utility that you can put into an NFT with access. Mm -hmm. You know, just that one word and NFT. Like, there's a billion applications. Yeah, I the future will be uh, the future will be content sharing and then subscriptions. Um, yep. Unfortunately, that system doesn't quite exist yet. But when it does, we'll probably jump on board. I just don't want to restrict the listenership. Like I want people to be able to watch the episode, listen to the episode and not feel they have to pay a premium to get into every single episode when yep. someone can just buy it and leak it online. So uh, we want to do more creative stuff with it and try and keep it as inclusive as, as much as we can. Yeah, dude, I love it. I love this. I love that you're doing stuff uh, because it, you're all the time is where your mouth is at. That's brilliant. I like people like you. Oh, I appreciate it. Anyways, uh, I got to get going. I'm sure you got things to do too. But Jesse, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Really do appreciate it. And let's uh, chat again in the future. A lot of fun. Yeah, dude, be a blast. Brandon, I appreciate you having me on, man. Anytime, great. anytime. Have a good day. Talk to you soon. Well, Bye. Take it easy. Bye.